just want to offer some meditations as we come before the Lord's table here this morning together and respond to what we have already sung together. Ephesians chapter 2, prior to the creation of the universe, our eternal God reveled in the boundless joy of His triune being in a timeless dimension. The eternal God chose to create time as a continuum of sequential events or changes in the universe. God is infinite. That means that He utilizes time as a tool, but He is unfettered by it. God is immutable. He operates in time as the sovereign ruler of the universe, but the perfections of His nature never improve and they never diminish. They are all that they can be and have been through all eternity. We, by contrast, are finite. We are mutable. We have a beginning and we change with the passage of time. As creatures bound by the continuum of time, God has equipped us with the tool of memory. In one sense of the term, God does not have memory. He knows everything completely, absolutely, intuitively, fully. But we are equipped with memory. Memory permits us to perceive the proper relationship of past events to present realities and to future realities. Without memory, we'd be in pretty bad shape. It permits us to live life, to stay alive, but it does so much more than that. Few philosophers have worked so hard to understand human memory as the 4th century theologian Augustine Augustine argued that we should not speak merely of past, present, and future. But in the context of memory, he argued that we should speak of the present perception of things past. We have to think a little bit here. The present perception of things past, which he called memory. The present perception of things present, which he called sight. And the present perception of things future which he called expectation. I think there's some great wisdom in that. Augustine realized that while we cannot alter the past, our interpretation of the memories of the past should change. Let me illustrate this. I think it would be very obvious to us as we consider it. But we should all hope that a 40-year-old man does not interpret today exactly as he did 25 years ago the memory of drilling his French teacher in the head with a spitball. You hope that he will mature and be seasoned in his memory of that. A ten-year-old girl wakes up one morning and remembers that her hamster died the day before. Twenty years later, the same memory is interpreted quite differently. The day after the event, the memory of her hamster is enough to bring her to absolute ruin. Now, twenty years later, as a thirty-year-old, she smiles. She was tempered by it. Reflecting on the maturation of memory in the sanctification of believers, Augustine observed, I remember with joy my past sorrow, and with sorrow I remember past joy. Ruled by sin, this man plucked and ate many forbidden fruits to slake the thirst of his flesh. I remember, he says, 
many past joys with sorrow. And Augustine was also tortured by a guilty conscience, eventually leading him to run for relief into the forgiving arms of Jesus. I remember many past sorrows with joy. So looking back with sanctified memory, he sorrowed in those past joys such as stealing and fornication, and he rejoiced in the past sorrows such as his agony over sin that led him to Jesus. Christian, your spiritual growth involves maturing in your interpretation of past events and perceiving their relationship to the present and to the future. This is one reason that we gather around this table in the wisdom of God to remember the death of Christ. Someone might argue and say, well, we remember it. We've already done that. We've done it before and we don't need to remember it again because we'll never forget it. But Jesus knows as He calls us to this table that there must be a maturation of our memory. As we think back on a past event and remember that it took place, we begin to grow as Christians from the very first time that we take this supper. We begin to grow in understanding the implications of this past event to our present day and to our future. We continue to remember the Lord's death until He comes, not as dutiful obedience to Jesus' instructions, We are indeed to exercise our memories, to recall that Christ died and rose again. But there's so much more to it. We do so as a discipline by which we labor to perceive how Christ's past death affects our present walk in this world and our future through all eternity. And we will never, ever plumb the depths of that truth. We must remember until he comes back. This memory of what Jesus did is complemented not only by remembering in a maturing way what he has done, but remembering in a maturing way who we were. This too is a common theme of Scripture and one that we find here in Ephesians chapter 2. The beginning of the chapter, chapter 2, we notice in verses 1 through 3 that by nature we were born spiritually dead and in league with this age. Chapter 2, verses 4 through 10, we read that by grace we have been made spiritually alive in union with Jesus Christ. These great truths of our redemption. As Paul brings these Ephesian believers to remember again what God has done in making them alive in Christ Dying with Him and rising with Him, we now walk in redemption. At verse 11, Paul steers the course of this chapter toward more corporate terms. That is, toward the idea of we as a body of Christ and who we are. Certainly that's involved in verses 1-10, through but even more so now in verses 11-12, through the end of the chapter, as he brings out the implications of our salvation in Christ. He teaches us here in verse 11, and we'll just narrow down here in these next three verses. But in verse 11, he teaches us that we were alienated from Christ and His people. Let's remember as we remember. 
Let's remember who we were as a people, thinking here not merely who I was individually, though that is true, but thinking here in corporate terms of who we were outside of Christ in the whole span of history to this point. Remember, verse 11, he says, that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember, Verse 11, he kind of just interrupts himself here to stake the idea. Remember at that time, that is in the interest of our sanctification, the Holy Spirit calls us here to remember the condition of our lives before we place saving faith in Christ. Again, corporately, who we were as a people. We were Gentiles in the flesh. This call is specifically addressed to Gentiles, that is to a class of people, as he explains here in verse 11, who were designated as the uncircumcision by the circumcision practicing Jewish community. Now this has very real and vibrant memories for the Ephesian believers as Gentiles living in a world where they interacted with Jews. But in a very true sense of the term. We, gathering as Gentiles, were once apart from the Jewish community and the people of God as we think back historically. We're to remember this deep division that existed between the Jews and the Gentiles. Paul will pick up on that theme as he develops it through the chapter. But now the concentration is placed on the more severe separation. And that we find in verse 12. Remember, that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Remember that at that time you were strangers to the covenants of promise. At that time, in the past, remember, you had no hope. You were without God in the world. As we come to this table, we are to remember what Christ has done, and we are to remember it with the backdrop of who we were. We were separated from Christ. Let your memory take you back to that time. As a corporate people, as an individual, a time when we were separated from Christ. As we look back in time, our memory is to perceive that there was one time when we were separated from all hope in the saving Messiah. Probably again to be understood here in the larger terms. Part of a stream of people in our histories that had no hope in a coming Messiah. They worshipped the gods of this world. They worshipped creation itself. But there was no hope that there would be a coming Messiah who would deliver. You were without hope in Christ, separated from those promises of a Messiah. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers to the covenants of promise. We remember back to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. God promises to bless the world through Abraham. But we know that that blessing must pass to us outside of these people of Abraham. God chose the Israelites to work His salvation. Deuteronomy 14 and verse 2, He says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. God elects Israel uniquely. And in electing her, He does not elect others. And then 
nations of the earth. You are a treasured possession out of all of the peoples. As we trace our histories back, perhaps all of us, to my knowledge, we trace them back to people who were no people. People who were not among this treasured possession. In Romans chapter 9, the implications are brought out by Paul when he says, theirs is the adoption of sons, theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship and the promises, theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. You weren't part of it. You were outside of the stream of all of this wonder that God was doing through the ages, through His people Israel. There was a day when you were not vitally connected to the life-giving vine of God's salvation program. Remember it. Paul doesn't skirt the issue. He doesn't hope that nobody thinks about this in the interest of racial integration or reconciliation. He says, remember it, Gentiles. There was a time when you were outside. You were not near. In fact, verse 12 at the end, you had no hope. You were without God in the world. As a people, we were without God. We were not included in His family. Remember this, Christian. There was a day when each one of us identified with a people deprived of the greatest of all joys. There was a time in each of our lives when our souls languished among the homeless. There was a day in history past when the God of love and glory elected to throw His cloak around Israel and to usher her into His warm home. As we Gentiles stood in the dark, In the dark world of sin, we could see through the open door a blazing fire and a food-laden table. We could hear the shouts of rejoicing and the songs of celebration. And then, as it were, the silhouette of Israel was seen entering into God's house. And the door was closed. And the shades were drawn And we Gentiles stood outside in the bitter cold and cursed the God of Israel. There was a day when we had to claim, we had no claim to the Messiah and the promise of his blessing on the nations. There is hope there. There is the hope that the blessing will pass to the nations But in our bitterness, in our anger against God, in not being chosen as His unique people, there was not a desire to humble ourselves and enter into the house on His terms, but simply a bitterness that we were not chosen uniquely. This is who you were. You were outside in the cold. You were separated from the vine. You were bitter of heart and soul, chasing all of the gods of your imagination. This is our history. This is what we are to remember. We're to perceive as we come to this table that past and to realize how it affects us now and in the future. Because, of course, the account doesn't stop there. We find that we were united with Christ and His people, once separated and alienated from Him. We have now been united with Him. This great and glorious but that starts verse 13, but now 
In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The far off and near, the rabbis use these terms to designate uh, Jews who were near and Gentiles who were called far. The terms originally describe their relationship in proximity to the temple and the temple mount in Jerusalem. The Gentiles were far away from the place where God was worshipped. The Jews were near where God was worshipped. But then it became used as a term to refer symbolically to the Gentiles' moral distance from God. We Jews are close to God, to His laws, to His decrees, His gracious goodness to us to tell us what to do morally. We're near. The Gentiles are far But now, says Paul, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near. Living far outside the warm provision of God's saving grace, we have been now brought into fellowship with God. We've been invited into the house of salvation. We have been grafted onto the vine of God's saving purposes. How has this happened Let me pause before we look at that. If you're in the spiritual state right now of boredom, you should be scared. You should wake up. What we're looking at here is who we were. And there is a horrible picture that is presented for us to remember in the past who we were. We should gain a sense and it should be growing within us of how desperately lost and empty we were. But now, in Christ, we have been brought near. It is this awareness of who we were that fills with so much glory and warmth who we now are in Christ. And perhaps many times this is a struggle of our sanctification, to become bored with what we have heard before. And not to go back down that trail and remember it from a position of maturity to appreciate who we once were. In fact, in a unique way to see the sorrow of the past transformed into the joy of the present. To know that I once was on the outside now strangely becomes a warm point and fills my heart with joy because of this transition but by the blood of Christ we have been brought near. How does this happen? How are we delivered from this strain? Verse 13, it is by the blood of Christ. It is by this which we remember in this communion service together. It is by this that we have been brought out of that. It is what He has done that has delivered us. By His blood, our relationship to these two historical points of reference brings everything into perspective. Remember as you look back in time who you were, and remember as you look back in time what the blood of Christ has done to purchase your redemption and to unite you to His people. How do you gather in this service today? This meal is not for all. It is for those who have come to place their saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is those who rejoice in having once been alienated from Christ 
and now reconciled to him through the blood of Christ. It is for those who have identified as the followers of Christ in baptism to say that they are his people and have borne witness to that fact. But this message is for all. This message is for each one. And if you have come this day alienated from Christ... You do not have confidence that your sins have truly been forgiven. I don't mean that you want them to be forgiven, but I mean they truly have been forgiven. That you know through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, having placed your faith and your confidence in Him, you are forgiven. If you don't know that, there is simply one message here. You can come out of the cold. Jesus Christ has given His life, has risen from the dead, and calls you to respond. You must respond to this command to receive salvation in Jesus. But for those of us who know Him as Savior, there is a constant growth project to perceive the meaning of the Gospel in our lives. We don't gather here to remember the Lord's death just so we don't forget it in the sense that we use the term If somebody says to us after 20 years of never having the Lord's Supper, do you remember that Jesus died? And we go, oh boy, I forgot about that. If we're reading the Bible, if we have any vibrant relationship with God at all, we could not possibly forget in the sense of not remembering any longer that He came. We have gathered here to remember in a unique sense of the term to be sanctified through this discipline in understanding and perceiving this past event and its implications on our present and our future. This is what we do together corporately here before this table, and this is what we ought to be doing every day of our lives as we contemplate the cross of Christ. Have you this week earnestly, in prayer, earnestly thanked God for the death and resurrection of Christ. How often we take it just for granted. It's not an academic line of past history. It is a past event that is to transform every day of our lives, every thought of our minds, who we are to the depth of our being. We need to give our lives from here until we enter in eternity to understanding the implications of the death and resurrection of Christ upon us in every moment of our lives. And in that process, we must never forget who we were. If you'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we see this emphasis brought out so well here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9 We see it here in Ephesians 2. Remember that you were alienated from Christ. Paul brings up this very same idea as he labors for the sanctification of the Corinthian church where he says in chapter 6 and verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. This is who you were. But. But you were washed. 
You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is who you were. That is no longer who you are. Your identity has been changed. You have entered into Christ in relationship with Him. Now united to His death and resurrection. You have died to sin and you have risen to righteousness. You see again the implications of what Christ has done coming to bear on the daily life of these individuals who once were drunkards and swindlers and sexually immoral and idolaters and all of the like. He's not saying you're no longer tempted with these things. What he's saying is that's who you were, but now you are in Christ. The temptations may continue. The struggles may be there. But you are, through that past event of Christ's crucifixion, becoming who you are in Jesus. Having been constituted, as Ephesians 2 brings out, a new man. Not in the singular individualistic sense, but there in Ephesians 2, in the corporate sense, we have entered the body of Christ. And so every day, this past event is to be transforming how we see life. It is to be transforming how we look to the future. It is to transform, to color, to undergird, and to point the way in everything that we do. Never forgetting who we were. We could see the strategy possibly, rationally speaking, of Paul and the New Testament authors saying, just forget what happened in the past. Try not to remember the sins of the past. Try not to remember being lost. That would strip us of so much joy. It would strip us of what Augustine experienced in seeing our past memories of sorrow turning to memories of joy. And to rejoice as the memories that used to bring us joy now bring us sorrow and deepen us and make us holy. What grace there is as God invites us to look back so that we are sanctified now and growing in the likeness of Christ. You look back in your life just on a mundane level, and I am sure that every one of us could give an illustration of something in the past that was so devastating and so harmful and so difficult, which has now through time been transformed to be a source of great joy. Perhaps not a source of giddiness and happiness, but a source of deep joy where we realize what God has done through that sorrow. And if you're being sanctified, there will be an ever-growing list of sorrows in things that used to bring joy. May God sanctify us this week, this day, and into the future as we consider these ideas. But may He use this time together around the table as a sanctifying event to look back and to allow our memories to be hinged and staked to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. May we remember His death until He comes, remembering who we were before Christ. We gather in that spirit.